Hey everyone, and welcome to the Annex Tuesday Night Podcast. The Annex is a community seeking to discover and live life in Jesus. And we hope that this message will help you do just that. If you like what you hear, you can always subscribe. So these messages come right to your phone each week. And you can always check us out at theannexboulder.com or on our Instagram account at theannex.boulder. Enjoy today's message. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, get into the night. Jesus, thank you so much um, that you've brought us here to this space, um, and to this place, and wherever we are, um, even if we're not sure that um, you exist, um, or we're like super committed um, to um, following you, and we, we really want our lives to be an honest reflection of you um, here as students at CU. We just ask that um, you would meet us here in this space and in this place and in this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're doing a series, uh, a seven-week series. I'm talking about the the life of Jesus, and it's um, what I believe, the the conviction of the disciples, the the first followers of Jesus, the people that were like pressing the flesh, um, like were with Jesus, best friends to sort of distant followers, those people that were convinced that Jesus was not just a random carpenter um, from a Jewish family um, in a rural town north of Jerusalem in the first century, but he was actually the, the face of God, God incarnate, um, the, and the one that God had long promised through the prophets um, of Israel. Um, those people, their conviction, when they talked about why um, we should consider Jesus, what they always referred to was back to the substance of his life as both evidence and, um, and reason why they believed and why we ought to believe. And so we're taking um, a, a deep dive. And whether you are somebody who's like, interested enough in Jesus, in, in Christianity, or whatever it is that you're here, maybe um, somebody that brought you here, you, you're attracted to, and you're like, well, I can suffer through a boring talk for a while, wherever, or, or if you're like, dude, I've been like, you know, like flannel graph Christian Sunday school, I can tell you every parable, um, this is also um, for you as well. That's my desire. Tonight, we are going to um, one of Jesus kind of Really, it was a big coming out moment for Jesus in terms of um, his new ministry. The first 30 years of, of Jesus' life, he was just kind of a normal dude. He was doing what um, a normal uh, uh, Jewish men would have been doing. He was working in the same craft as his father, which was carpentry. So he was building stuff with his hands, um, wood um, and such. Um, whatever they used back then. And he was also um, a student of, of Scripture. And if you were a good Jewish person, um, you would have been um, a student of the law, the, the law and the prophets. So Jesus knew Scripture, and he had grown up in a particular synagogue, which was a gathering place, much like a local church like this in the Jewish community. And, and so um, Jesus, at this point, in, in Luke's gospel, in Luke's account of Jesus' life, has already experienced some, um, has already started preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God, that God's reign was, um, was coming in a way that no one had experienced before, and, um, and that he was starting to manifest, um, actually demonstrate God's reign, the, the, the kingdom of God was kind of code for that, um, in, in supernatural ways, that he was healing people, um, casting out demons, um, and, and just honestly making people's lives better. And so Jesus is doing this, and the, pos- the, 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 res- like the response is good. People are into it, right? Like if you're sick, who doesn't want to be healed? 
Um, If you're experiencing spiritual oppression, who doesn't want to be liberated from that? And so Jesus is kind of like a hero in, in, in that part of the world. And people are, are catching on to this Jesus guy could be somebody really special. So Jesus comes home. And this is how Luke records it. And he, he, um, it says that the news about him had spread everywhere. He was teaching in lots of, of synagogues, lots of local churches. And um, everyone praised him because he was like the guy. So then he came home to his town, which was a place called Nazareth, where he was brought up. And on the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He was just a good, church-going dude. Except the difference is that his home people, like, knew what was going on. Like, it was Jesus, but it was like, whoa, Jesus. This guy's different, and some cool stuff is going on. And it says that he stood up to read, and the scroll that was handed to him, um, like, we have Bibles now in our pews, but in the first century, like, you would just have, like, one scroll per community. And so he was handed the scroll, and he turns the scroll, and he, he, he it probably took him a while, because it's pretty deep into this scroll that is um, the, the prophecy of the, the, the beloved prophet Isaiah. And he turns to this particular part, and he stood up, and he read it, And this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you could just, I mean, even as I'm reading that now, I'm like, like it feels like a pregame football speech. Like, I, we're going to go out and we're going to change the freaking world, right? And, and it says, and this is the way Luke described it, he rolled the scroll back up, he gave it to the attendant, and he sat down. That is like a first century mic drop, Right? He just gets up and he reads this like very heavy, very future, hopeful oriented prophecy. And he owns it. And everybody's looking at him now. I mean, it says, Luke says that all of the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. And he says, today, this scripture that was written hundreds of years ago by our beloved prophet Isaiah. This scripture has been fulfilled. Wow. And all the people spoke well of him. They were amazed. They were like, dude, this Jesus, he's the Messiah. This is the guy. Three big things are happening in this moment. And if you're like me, you wouldn't have picked up on these three things if you were just a a, a normal Um, non-Jewish person from the 21st century. The first is that Jesus is connecting deeply with his community's yearning and longing for the Lord to bring what what the Jews refer to as as uh, the year year of, of the Lord's favor, a year of blessing. This idea that the Lord would just unleash all of his blessing on his people in such a radical way that everyone would be um, raised to a level uh, playing field. Notice the people that he addresses. It's the, it's the poor, the prisoners, the blind and the oppressed. 
all of those people are expecting and hoping to receive um, freedom and, and, and blessing, no longer op- oppressed. Who does not want that? I mean, even if like you're an affluent person today, you read that and you're like, I still, I could be, I could be filthy rich and oppressed, right? And so like, who doesn't want that? So his people are especially anticipating this promise. That's what's going through their mind. The second thing is, Jesus is saying he's the guy, okay? That is massive, um, really massive. I am the Messiah. I am this person. These are my words that that the prophet Isaiah spoke centuries ago. These are my words. I'm saying them live today because they're true about what I am and what I'm going to do. And then this is the other thing that people are thinking about, too, as, as um, as they just witnessed this incredible incredible scripture read and mic drop. Jesus forgot the last line. This is an awesome prophecy, but he forgot the last line. But anyway, people are still happy with him because he's touching on this very positive um, idea, this hopeful idea of the Lord's favor. And then they start asking, isn't this Joseph's kid? Isn't Joe like the carpenter? Isn't this one of his boys? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, it is, isn't it? His dad made our bed. Isn't that nice? And I think he played on my kid's park and rec soccer team in the third grade, right? Oh, it's Jesus. Isn't that cute, right? Like, you know this guy when he was a kid. And, um, and, and, and so people start murmuring. And, but, and, and they love him, but they're like, ah, but it's Jesus, the, the, the soccer kid. And then this is what, and this is so interesting because this is where I'm like, dude, Jesus, you do stuff differently. Like, uh, you're, at a, you're, you're very popular at this moment. Everyone loves you and loves the idea of what you could be. And then he says this, because Jesus is not interested in praise if it's not true. That's something very convicting about Jesus. And Jesus said, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Doctor, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in our hometown, Nazareth, what we have heard you do in all the other towns. And then he says, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. You guys will never really get me. You'll always see me as like rec league Jesus and carpenter Jesus. You don't really get it. And then, and then this is where stuff gets really sideways. Really sideways. Jesus launches in and tells two stories that were stories that were a part of um, what we call the Old Testament. If you were to open up First and Second Kings, you could fish and find these stories. Okay. And this is what he said. He said, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. Now, Elijah is like the Michael Jordan of prophets at this point. Is that true? I'm trying to think about my sporting analogies. Maybe, maybe, hmm. Moses might be more like Michael Jordan, but this guy is like Larry Bird, right? Like, he's the real deal. Everyone loves this guy. He was a great prophet. And, and, and Jesus is pointing back to this very painful moment. There was a famine for three and a half years in Israel because of the people's disobedience, and the Lord was trying to get their attention. And, and Elijah, and, and this is what he says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah. And they know this story. 
three and a half years of famine, and yet the Lord did not send Elijah to any widows in their country, but instead he was sent to help and to feed and provide for a woman in a totally different country who was a, a, a citizen of an, a foreign and enemy country. So he says, I assure you, there were many widows, but God didn't send Elijah, our Larry Bird, to go help out our people. He sent Elijah to go help out the people we hate, this widow. And then he says, and there were many in Israel with leprosy, which is a skin disease that today we're like, no big deal, just rub some cream on it and it's cool. But in the first century, that's not the case. It was an issue. And when your skin starts falling off, it's a big deal. It's more of a cosmetic, more than a cosmetic issue, as you can imagine. So he says, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha. Really similar names. They came right after each other. I don't know why, but whatever. It's like Jerry and Jory, whatever. So Elijah, and then there's Elisha, the prophet, okay? And they, they know this story too. And yet, the one person who was healed of leprosy by Elisha was not one of us. It was actually this guy whose name was Naaman. Now, Naaman was not just somebody who was a citizen of a foreign country that, that, that their people were sworn enemies of. He was actually a military general of a neighboring country that had been oppressing the Israeli people, the, the, the people of Israel, okay? Unbelievable. Jesus, how could you possibly bring up the two most sensitive moments where our God, for whatever reason, did a solid for our enemies. How could you possibly bring that up? And this was the turning point. The people start putting the pieces together with Jesus. Remember, I, I mentioned that, that Jesus, when he, when he got up and he, and he started um, speaking um, out of the prophet Isaiah, that, that he missed the last line. And they're starting to realize that Jesus' error was not an error. It was actually an intentional edit. See, this is the way that the line is supposed to go. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That was the great rally cry and the great hope of Israel. God was going to bless the pants off his people and he was going to wreak havoc and bring vengeance and justice on all the enemies around Israel. And that is what the people hoped for the Messiah who would make things right. Israel would be back on top and all of the neighboring enemies that had been oppressing um, God's people for years and years would be put in their place. Jesus, his people, very much had an us and God versus the world sort of mentality. And if you look at the history of Israel, even up to this point, there's only a few moments in history where the people of Israel are not ruled by some other king, where they are sovereignly uh, on their own, doing their own thing. And they have, they're a small nation in comparison to all these other nations around them. And so this idea of God's anointed person, the long-awaited, would finally come and, and, and put Israel back on top. Kind of like a, this is a bad sports analogy, but I'm going to do my best. Um, I, I root for a, I went to the University of Washington, as you may know, you'll find out. 
And we won the national championship once in football, and we think of ourselves as having always won it. You know what I mean? And so it's like, when we win again, we're like, of course, that's the way it's supposed to be. We're like, always win it. Just that one time in 120 years. You know what I mean? But you think of yourself, and I think in a little way, maybe Israel thinks that way. When Israel thinks, when, 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 when Jesus' people thought of salvation, they thought about justice, and they thought about revenge. That's what salvation meant to them. And then here is Jesus. Here is Jesus, who is calling himself the Messiah. This scripture, the words of, of the anointed one of God who has come to make things right for his people, that is me. And God is definitely going to show favor to his people, Israel. But instead of vengeance, there will be no vengeance. Instead of vengeance, it's going to be exactly like it was for that widow in Lebanon and that military general in Syria. God's blessing is for them too. Now maybe your minds aren't blowing right now, but the minds of the people in, in Jesus' home church are literally melting. And Luke records that the people are so upset at Jesus that they get up and they start physically pushing him out of the building and to the edge of town with the intention of killing him because the things that he had said were so controversial and so mind-numbing. The idea that the Messiah, that he could be a Messiah and also have compassion and love for Israel's enemy was not something to fit into their category. They got to the edge of the, 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 cl the cliff, and there's actually in Nazareth a, a, a mount, called Mount Precipice, they, and some people think that's where it was. And Anyway, they got to the top, and it says in verse 30, uh, it says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I think at the end of the day, they just did not have the guts to kill Rec League, Rec League Jesus. And so he walks away. Now, you might be thinking, geez, that's kind of an extreme reaction to Jesus for a couple of things that he said. But it's my conviction that what those folks, how those folks reacted is not far off to what we harbor in our own hearts. If you're anything like me, and I'm guessing you are, we all want to be insiders. We all want to be insiders. I mean, think about it. If this is your first year at CU, if you're a freshman here at CU, your first instinct, if you're anything like me freshman year, is I just need to find my place, my people, so I can be an insider somewhere. Because right now I feel totally exposed. Totally exposed. And as long as I can just find my group, my niche, my thing, where I'm an insider, I'll feel so much better. Right? And so you want to connect to where you are an insider. You want to talk to your family. It's not a bad thing, but you're an insider there, hopefully. Or you want to connect with your friends back home or the person you're dating, you know, in Omaha or whatever, right? Like, you, like that, we, we feel like stable when we're an insider somewhere. Not only do we want to be an insider, but we also want to win. We don't want to be a losing insider. We want to be a winning insider, right? But to be a winning insider, that means we need losing outsiders. If everybody's a winning insider then there is no winning insider, right? We've got to have losers, too. And so it sucks to be a CSU Ram. Amen? It sucks to be a CSU Ram. 
I mean, think about it. You have to go, you have to live in Fort Collins, right? The mountain, the views of the mountains are dumb there. Let's be honest. Compared to the Flatirons, they're, they're egregious. And, and they're, they're font. I mean, like it's Times New Roman. I mean, it looks like a community college. And <laughs> I'm like, seriously, you know what I mean, right? It sucks to be a CSU Ram. And so we need our losing outsiders, right? If we're going to be winning insiders. And it's easy to laugh about that with sporting rivalry. And I have to really confess that I, I actually deeply struggle at a very real level that I, I have a very a strong disdain for the Oregon Ducks, being a Washington Husky fan. And it is it has put some relationships on the rocks. Um, anyway, all that to say, um, so, you know, rivalry, ha, 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 ha. Um, in fact, I think I made a former intern from Eugene, Oregon, cry on this pew like five years ago over the whole thing. But whatever, we're moving on. <laughs> to be a winning insider, we need losing outsiders. We do this in sports, right? But we do this in a lot of other areas as well. We categorize people in a way so that we can identify ourselves as somebody who's better, who's more valuable, who's more intelligent, who's more in the right, who's more successful, up against other people. We do this with politics. We do this with ethics. We do this in so many different ways. And we do this especially in the church. Christians have become experts at categorizing ourselves as winning insiders at the expense of losing outsiders. Right? Maybe you've been around the church long enough to taste that. Sometimes it only takes about three minutes. Or you've never actually been a part of a church, but that's the only vibe you get, right? Which is why, like, the people on campus that are yelling, those are the, that, that's a great example, Right? the yelling Christians. Is anybody going to be compelled and moved to love Jesus because somebody's screaming at them that God hates them? I mean, really? I mean, all that person is doing is proving that they are a winning insider at the expense of the losing outsiders. But here is what Jesus revealed on that day, that first sermon in his hometown. This is what Jesus revealed. And it is true that day, it was true before that day, and it was true that day, and it is so true today. That God's kingdom, the reign of God, that life in God, life in Jesus is for everyone. It's for everyone. God's kingdom, his borders are not defined by our ancestry, by our culture, by our sexuality, by personal failures, by socioeconomics, and this is going to sound scandalous, but by our religion. That is not the border of God's kingdom. Instead, it is defined by what is in our hearts. It's defined by our stance and our understanding of who Jesus is, this King Jesus that we are discovering over the next seven weeks and the substance of our lives. Those are the things that Jesus talked about when he talked about what it meant to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. So, if you consider yourself an outsider in Christianity, if you're not sure if God is for you because of the messaging you've heard from Christians in the church that says, we are the winning insiders and you are the losing outsider, don't pay attention to those people. Pay attention to Jesus. And what Jesus says is that the kingdom of God, his life is for you. 
He could not have picked two more extreme examples from his own um, people's scripture. A poor, destitute widow. Now, in, the, in biblical times, it did not get worse than being a widow because you needed a man to provide for you if you were a woman living in most of history, unfortunately. And so a widow had no one to provide for her. She was totally exposed, totally vulnerable, and a social outcast because she doesn't have a man. And Jesus has pity and takes care of those people. He cares about the bottom, the bottom of the food chain. That's who that woman was, the bottom of the food chain. And he had compassion on a man who was a man who made a career out of violence. Make no mistake, Naaman was not a nice guy. Naaman would not have been the person you would want to golf with on Saturday morning if you were his enemy. Naaman was head of ISIS, okay? He was not a nice guy. And yet God had compassion and care for him too. That is the point that Jesus is making. And so if you are sitting here wondering, really wondering, is God actually for me? Is this life in Jesus thing for me? The answer is yes. And if you consider yourself a saved Christian, you've, you've said the prayer, you've grown up in the church, you were baptized, maybe as a baby, maybe later on, and you somehow hold on to a worldview where some people in this world are inherently unlovable and some are lovable, you are missing the kingdom of God. Holding on to a view that some people are lovable because of any category and some people are not lovable. You're missing Jesus. This passage and so many more should make you feel very, very uncomfortable. So that's chapter two, really chapter one. Last week was kind of a prologue. Jesus kicks off his life as the Messiah, and here's what we learn. God's kingdom is going to be for everyone, period. Let's pray. God, it can be hard for us to believe that um, you would call even us um, to your kingdom, to your life, that you would call us children. Because for so many of us, everything about our life, the headwind that we exist in, tells us otherwise. That we are unlovable, we are unacceptable, and that a good, loving, just God who is worthy of anybody's praise could possibly want to be with us. But Lord, um, as we see, even as you began your ministry, your life, you made it abundantly clear, even at the expense of becoming unpopular by your own people, that that is not the way things are with you. And God, um, 
for those of us, and I identify this way, Lord, who um, have understood our life as Christians, that we are people who, um, who follow you, we know the right answers to all the Bible questions, and we've said the prayer, and we want to be good Christians. But Lord, um, we hold on to the idea that there are some people that are unlovable for literally any reason. That they're your kingdom couldn't possibly be for them until they get things just a little bit right. God, we confess that that is not a part of the way that you see things. That is not a part of your kingdom. So transform our hearts. God, can we worship you tonight with the freedom of knowing that your favor and your blessing is for all of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you back here next week.